stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm joined by Zach's equity strategist and the editor of Zach's Surprise Trader, Dave Bartosiak, as we take a look at the auto stocks and really what's going on in the auto industry. A lot of them look like values here, or are they traps? We're going to look into that. And we've talked a lot about peak auto before are we in it? Is this time for real? Because it's kind of been a call about Picado for, I want to say, two or three years now. <laughs> People have been talking about it. And we're also going to take a look at what happened at the Monterey Car Week, which is the big classic car gathering every year out in California. Dave, let's start off with Monterey because a lot of interesting things happened there this year, I, I feel, and it's not really getting as much play as I feel it, it should have. So basically, um, it wasn't it wasn't that good this year for the sales because they they have a lot of the classic cars out there and then they hold big auctions and some of the years, you know, they'll see the most expensive car to ever sell at auction. I guess last year in 2018, there was a 1962 Ferrari 250 GTO that sold for $48.4 million. This year, I think the most expensive was what, like $19 million? $19.8 million this year was the most expensive. Yeah. Uh, pretty, it was soft at the top end. And so what, what is the top end? So the really high-priced cars, your very extraordinarily collectible cars, uh, things that have racing heritage and pedigree. So is that, that like are... over a million bucks then? Is that what we're talking about? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the, the one that stood out here was actually the most bizarre part of this auction. They had a, an old Porsche, which... Uh, they expected was going to fetch a ton of money. It was a 1939 Porsche Type 64. So it's one of the first cars that Porsche, that Ferdinand Porsche, ever designed. Okay. Uh, and they were expecting a ton of money out of this car. Uh, they they opened they opened the the auction at 50 million, and then shortly after that accepted a bid for 70 million, seven zero. Wow. And as it turned out, the, the the bid was supposed to be for thirteen million and seventeen million, not thirty and seventy. Uh, and so basically, it was just a complete debacle. Wow! So they uh, just kind of shut it down, and then and then the car, you know, it, it was just a total embarrassment for uh, for for the auction house because it was just a complete yeah. mistake. Um, so, <laughs> uh, it, it didn't work, uh, it didn't work out. So the car ended up being a no sale because of the, because of the mix up. Wow. Um, so that's kind of what highlighted, you know, the, the embarrassment of this. So all in all, uh, $197 million worth of cars traded hands. Okay. And that's the lowest total amount since 2011. Okay. Uh, they were expecting um, they were expecting 370 million. Wow! Uh, and they they did not get that. And that's what they ended up getting last year is 370 million, and that's okay. kind of where they thought they were going to be this year, and it just did not happen. Now, one important um, one 
important note here, though, is that uh, more of the cars, more of the million-dollar cars that were at auction uh, did not sell. So, you know, anything a million and up, only 42% of those cars ended up selling uh, compared to 55% over the last several months. So it's kind of reached this peak where people are not interested in those million-dollar cars anymore. Okay. Now, the good thing, though, that came out of this auction is that cars under 75000 had a ton of strength. So it seems like what's happening is these collectors are, are kind of ignoring, you know, the multi-million-dollar cars that they, and are trying to find value within the, within the classic car space right now. Okay. Does that also have something to do with the type of buyers that it may be, you know, slightly older collectors who can, let's be frank, afford the million dollar cars and maybe yeah. the younger, either Gen Z's maybe even now or millennials are the ones buying the lower price cars? Um, I, I don't know that it's that. Necessary. I think it's more uh, geographic. So oh. we've had the Chinese coming in and buying everything at the high end for a long time. And that's been subsiding here. So you're not having that huge influx of big dollars coming in right. at the top end of the range. Okay. So you're getting more sort of astute collectors coming in and trying to find these values, the cars that are under 75000 you know, that they're trying to scoop up. Because um, if you look at, you know, the, 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 the top sales this year, we're still cars concentrated, you know, for the most part in the 50s and 60s. Okay. So that's still kind of the older generation that, you know, is going after those cars. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think over the next several years, you're going to start to see those cars from the, you know, early and mid-80s start to fetch a little bit more love here. Okay. Like uh, the Camaros and those types of cars? or Yeah, you'll get some of that. Okay. But you'll get, you got to think like posters of the 80s, right? Okay. So call up your brother and ask right. him what he had on his wall. <laughs> uh, so the old, like the Lamborghini Countachs of the world have oh. been coming up in value. There's been a huge push towards this, uh, you know, analog versus digital that's happening in the in the car world. Okay. Uh, where people are are trying to get back to the days where it was just kind of raw power. And you didn't have all the traction control and stability systems and all the computers essentially that are in today's cars. Yeah. They did get that more kind of raw, connected to the ground feeling. Um, so that's what you're that's what you're seeing. So the Camaros, maybe the IROCs, but the, the, those have kind of been. I don't want to say swept under the rug, but they're just this new generation. When we're looking at the '80s, it's going to be more foreign cars. You're going to have a lot of Japanese cars okay. that are going to be uh, attracting attention. Uh, so a little bit of a of a shift versus when you think in the '60s, you had all the muscle cars like the Camaros, uh, the Mustangs, the GTOs, yeah. things of that nature, all the Mopar cars. You're not going to have that in this next generation. It's going to be a lot more tilted towards the Japanese, some of the early Italian exotics. Okay. Now, I saw some stats that said uh, this isn't the first time that sales have been down this sharp at Monterey, but I thought that the years that they were also down was kind of interesting. So apparently sales plunged 72% from 2000 to 2002. And then during the the financial crisis, they were down 14% from 2008 to 2009. But um, the overall market also plunged in 2009, not just like at the higher end at all. But it kind of makes you 
stop to think about like why it's plunging here because we're not we're not in a recession. And you mentioned yeah. the Chinese buyers, so that could be part of it. But I don't know. Does it does it give you any pause about what may be going on in the overall economy that the really expensive car buyers seem to have pulled back? Yeah, um, it, I think it certainly does. I think it's uh, it's an uncertainty thing, right? Okay. Uh, when you have and, and it's also buckets of money. Um, so what I mean by that is, you know, you can only have so much money invested in stock. You don't have so much money invested in bonds. When you have this excess money, you need another bucket to put it in. And for a while, you know, with with easy money internationally, you know, those start to go into collectibles. So not just cars, but I'm sure we could talk about, well, I can't really talk about art, but there's so many yeah. that I can talk about art and the art market and, and what's happened there. Even, do you remember, I, I think it was a couple of years back when wine started becoming a huge thing? Yeah. Um, yes, you know, for sure. Wine bottles. Yeah. yeah. So it's just these all all these pockets of collectability where that excess money just it's got to go and get parked into something. Yeah, the baseball so, card market right now has been doing the card collectibles. I should say for the last several years has been real hot, but that doesn't appear to be slowing. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. It's oh, it's come of, back. Well, the problem get is out those shoeboxes. All from the early nineties when they just decided they were going to mass produce oh, everything. Yeah. Um, so uh, my generation was a victim. That's of, true. Uh, you, you. That's <laughs> true. Mass, that's right. When the the last bubble, the last card bubble. Oh yeah. Then they were just like, yeah. oh, let's just print up a bunch of guys. All these kids don't like this stuff, and that's what happened. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, for for car values, it's definitely the the sort of affordable classics. Okay. Uh, have continued to be strong. So there's an index, Haggerty, the uh, insurance company. Okay. Uh, they do classic car insurance, and they have an index of collectible cars priced under thirty thousand dollars. Okay. That they that they pegged. Yeah, you know, I'll have to give you the details, but uh, you know, it's they, just like any other index, they peg it to a certain a certain level. Um. Anyway, this index in two thousand January two thousand and seven was about eighteen thousand. Okay. And has been steadily increasing since then, and is now at twenty seven five. Okay. So it's just anything under those, that affordable classic trend that we were seeing continue at Monterey is something that's happened for, for a while here and, and probably isn't going to stop. Right. Because when you have that huge discrepancy between, you know, the million-dollar cars, then there's a whole lot of cars that are under $30,000 that, you know, uh, the average Joe, so to speak, wants to get their hands on. Yeah. And then they can, and they do. So that doesn't seem an index like that is not, seemingly flashing any kind of danger unless you believe, you know, that it can't continue to just gain, but right. it's not on the decline, right? So No, that's not on the decline, but if you look at um, you know, the muscle cars, yeah. We just we, we touched on that a little bit. Um, they sort of peaked along with the stock market and then bottomed out along with the stock market. And now that index is starting to roll over, and it has been rolling over for the last year and a half or so. Okay. Now, but there's that's a support that's sort of a demand related issue, I think, uh, more than uh, a commentary on the overall health of the economy. Okay. I think, like you said, the new generation comes in, and they're not lusting after these muscle cars like the previous generation did. Right. Uh, so they have different tastes. So they're they're looking at different things. Okay. Now, 
because if you look at Ferrari, for example, uh, the Ferrari index has gone crazy from January 2007 through January 2017. Uh, the Ferrari index basically went up fivefold. Wow. Uh, and it's been steady since January of 2016, basically. Steady, ticking down a little bit, but there's there's just a, a shift, I think, in uh, you know what people are looking for and what they will look for over the course of the next several years. And it's just shifting away from you know your old school muscle cars looking more towards the exotics in in the Japanese and, you know, foreign cars in general. So things are changing. It does say a little bit about the economy, I think, but uh, I don't know that it's it's, it's not really like a death knell, right? I don't think we should be freaking out because the top end of the market is not there. I think it's just just saturated. And and you touched on it before. I mean, like how many super high-end luxury, you know, condos can they sell in the same space? In right. The same amount of time. They right. cannot. So they have they have excess inventory with those right now too in a lot of cities. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, switching back over to just kind of the regular car market, so to speak, what do you make of this GM strike? This is the first strike since 2007 at any of the major automakers. Um and what what does that what does that tell us? That That's kind of an indication maybe of things that are going on, at least in the job market. The job market's pretty good if we have striking coming back, I feel. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, I, I think the UAW is, is looking at, you know, the, the strength of GM right now and, and going, hey, wait a minute, you know, what about us? Yeah. Uh, I've seen a few articles point out the discrepancy between what uh, uh, the CEO, Barra, what she makes versus, you know, the average employee there, which you can do everywhere. But, you know, when you have a union of empo- of uh, employees, then that becomes scrutinized a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, they want health care, they want fairer wages, you know, and all, and all the stuff that goes along with it. I think that's what makes these stocks kind of tough uh, to buy into over the long run because, you know, you have that huge part of the company, that major cost that's sort of constantly demanding their piece of the pie. Yeah. And it's sort of that push and pull between them and the shareholders. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, makes it tougher to, to invest in those for a long term. But I mean, the auto industry has its own headwinds, um, several headwinds that they need to get because people just don't, the next generation just doesn't buy cars. Like. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit because I've been carless and I'm not even the next generation <laughs> and I've been right. carless for, I want to say four years now. And I fully intended when my last car died and I had it 18 years, I fully intended to buy another one, new or used. It didn't matter to me. I was going to buy another one. But here right. I am four years later, I live in a major city. Um, other things have have allowed me to not buy one, including Uber and Lyft, obviously the, the ride shares. I'm taking more public transportation. And then Zipcar is actually pretty convenient if I need to go, you know, if I do need a car for just like a day or something. There right. are a lot of them in Chicago. It's not cheap, but it's cheaper than owning a car. So yeah, I've been able to jettison, you know, get rid of my car and all those expenses. And, and they're even more expensive now than, than ever, basically, to buy a basic 
you know, sure. new car is is a big deal now. <laughs> I feel financially. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's one thing that these car companies are struggling with, and that's why you see so many of them trying to rebrand to a mobility company. Yeah. You know, if you read, you know, the mission statement on BMW, it's completely different than it was 15, 20 years ago. Uh, Toyota, Nissan, all of these companies are trying to make that shift. Even Ford invested so much in, you know, electric car and, and uh, autonomous technology. It's where a lot of their money is going, trying to develop that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's, a, it's a different world out there, and they're also faced with, you know, lower demand. Now, you're still going to have the fleet demand because somebody's going to need to to buy those cars. Right, the zip car. Have that zip right. car. Zip car is still buying all these to put out there. Yeah, but the days of you know a uh, a family of family of four having three cars, you know, is, is right. gone. Uh, except for me because I I love cars. But, right. You know, it's, but you're going to have those. Like I I'm not the norm by any stretch of the imagination. Right. Uh, I'm like I I love cars. It's like a hobby of mine. But your average person just doesn't have that. And like you touched on it, that you know people are living in urban areas, take the train, get the Uber, get uh, you know zip car. So that yeah. demand is just not it's just not there. We're not out living in the sprawling suburbs where we have to drive around everywhere. Right. It's, it's changing. So what do you what do you think about the major auto stocks? So taking a look at GM, which is ticker GM, it's trading with a PE of just five point five right now. So that it's like dirt cheap basically, and you do get a dividend with four point one percent. So you're getting something to kind of hold on in there, but the stock doesn't really doing much here. And now we have the strike. Earnings expected to be up 3.9% this year, but down 6% next year. So it looks a little bit like a value trap here a little bit. But what what about a long-term investor? Is is that dividend on any of these worth getting in? Because Ford is paying 6.5% dividend here. Yeah. And they're cheap too. They have a 7.2 PE. Yeah, uh, I, I think you are buying these stocks for the dividend. Okay. Uh, you're not buying them for any growth. You're just look. It's for that investor that's looking and saying, okay, well, the, the, where's the ten year? You know, and yeah. I can get a, a yeah. I can get a multiple of that by going into something that I believe is just as safe. You know, buying a GM or buying a Ford and just hanging out and not really worried about it. Okay. Because over the long run, I mean, we know that stock's going to bounce around a little bit. Yeah. But. You know, is GM going to get cut in half? Is Ford going to get cut in half over the course of the next few years if the market is just kind of moving along? I don't think we. I don't think that there is a huge risk of that. Okay. Um. So if you're a more conservative investor and you're comfortable with getting four percent on a GM or six percent on a Ford, it's not a terrible idea. But don't think that these are really smart value plays that you're going to come in and scoop off the bottom and all of a sudden. The yeah. rest of the market's going to pay attention, and they're going to double. I don't think that's going to happen right. anytime soon. What about a stock like Toyota? I I used to own it in my value investor portfolio a couple of years ago, and then we had to sell because I think the rank went to like a four or five or something, so I had to get out of it. But I took a look at it for the first time in a long time today. It's always traded at a bit of a premium compared to the U.S. makers. So it does have still a cheap P, but it's trading at nine times but those earnings are are not bad. Expected to be up twenty six percent this fiscal year, and then another eight percent in fiscal twenty twenty one. 
and the shares have gotten a bit of a bid here. Is there something different about Toyota that I don't know? The ticker is TM for Toyota. I don't know if you follow that one. Yeah, so um, part of it is just more efficiency for them. Okay. Um, but I think that eventually they're going to sort of fit into that same um, that same rut that okay. you're going to see from some of these large larger auto. I mean, Toyota's huge. Think about yeah. It, you know, how large these companies are and the challenges that they're going to face inevitably over the course of the next couple of years, or several years, really. I mean, the headwinds, there's a ton of headwinds. Um, so I, I'm not, I'm not, uh, you're still not buying in. That's <laughs> yeah. what you're saying. Yes. You do get it's a dividend. Short, short answer, right? Yeah, uh, you do get a dividend yeah. with Toyota too, but it's not as good as the others. It's only 2.6% here, but that's because it looks like you're buying a little bit better growth with them. But uh, speaking of growth, what about Ferrari? You mentioned them earlier with the Ferrari index, but you can yeah. buy that stock. The ticker is RACE, R-A-C-E. I haven't looked at this one for a while either, and I was surprised to see it's up 54, almost 55% year to date, okay. but it does look like it's stalled out the last couple months. Is this... And it's not cheap. It's trading at 37 times, but it's always traded with the premium because it's a growth stock. But it doesn't right. look like much growth in the earnings now. And I know the longtime CEO passed away, right? Mm -hmm. So what's going on there now? Have things stabilized now? It's been a little while since he passed away. Like, is there, what's the behind the scenes with Ferrari? Okay, well, uh, since they spun off, in, you know, had their IPO in, what, 2016? Yeah. Uh, they really had a goal of increasing the production across the board. See, Ferrari used to be, for the most part, you had three cars, for the most part, and I'm generalizing. Okay. You had a mid-engine V8, you had a front-engine V12, and then you had, like, a hypercar, like a super over-the-top crazy car, like the F40, the F50, the Enzo. Uh, now... The Ferrari lineup has a mid-engine that's now a V6 twin-turbo, uh, or a V8 twin-turbo running. Then you have a front-engine V12. Then you have a grand touring car with a hard-top convertible. You have a station wagon, well, technically a shooting brake. It's a two-door station wagon in the GTC4 Lusso. Okay. You also have the hypercar. Um, and the lineup just keeps expanding. Now they're going to have an SUV that they're working on since they saw what Lamborghini did, and they're going to do that too. Wow. So there's almost there's two tiers of Ferrari. There's the the heritage, the old school, the with, which is those mid-engine cars, the front-engine V12s, okay. and the hypercars. And those are the ones that are still going to be exclusive. They're not going to make you know a ton of them. You're going to have to be on a list to try and get one especially if you're looking at the 488 Pista, some of the special edition cars that they have. But then, if you want to go and buy a Portofino, which is that GT convertible car, anybody can buy a Portofino. Okay. That's sort of their entry-level car. So you have $200,000, you can buy, go buy a Portofino right now, and they're going to keep making Portofinos until nobody wants to buy a Portofino anymore. They're just going to make as much as, as, much as possible okay. in order to maximize those profits. When that SUV comes, an SUV could further 
from Enzo Ferrari's vision. Right. I mean, he just right. You're going to bring in an SUV here. And why are you doing that? Well, Lamborghini has their SUV, and their Lamborghini SUV, the Urus, is selling so crazy right now. Really? They're selling for over sticker, and then when you buy it, you don't lose any money on it. Wow. There's guys who have an Urus, held it for six months, put 3,000 miles on it, and sell it back to the dealer for more than they paid for it. Wow. How is the? Um, how does it compare to the Porsche SUV? I saw one of those driving around just the other day, and I did notice it because I was like, oh, that's a pretty car. What kind is that? Yeah. And then it drove by, and I saw that it was the Porsche one. Is that yeah, so still a player Porsche in the SUV? Porsche already has like a couple of them. Yeah. You know, Porsche has you know, different sizes. But Porsche, you know, shares their a lot of their research with the Volkswagen Group, and okay. the Volkswagen Group owns Lamborghini. So um, there's a lot of that in there. Okay. Uh, a Touareg, you know, the Volkswagen, the yes. big Volkswagen, the Bentley Bentayga. All okay. of these cars are have a lot of similarities when it terms comes to the terms of the chassis. Now Lamborghini changes because they put a body kit on it, and then they they have their V8 inside of it, so it's different. Um, but essentially, they're able to make cars for very cheap because they already have this platform that they can share within the Volkswagen group. Whereas Ferrari is out here trying to, you know, figure it out all on their, all on their own. I think what Ferrari is going to do here, though, is they're going to take the GTC4 Lusso platform and just make it taller. And that's what the Ferrari SUV is going to do. Is the Lamborghini, um, is that restricted in the number of units? Are they, like, limiting supply with that one? Uh, they, they're... They're not, but just Lamborghini's production facilities in general just don't pump out that many cars. Okay. So that's so, why uh, the demand and then they're selling for over the sticker yeah. price. Right. And so and Lamborghini had a real hit on their hands with the Huracan. So that's their, their V10 car, the, the baby Lambo, as they call okay. it. Okay. Um, that's the, the entry-level Lamborghini. So you're talking low 200,000 on that one. Okay. And um, What does the sell SUV sell for? Do you a know? A ton of those. SUVs, I think, two twenty. Okay, I saw. All right. So that's competing with the, you know, the, the high end Range Rover. Okay. Uh, and again, the Bentley Bentayga, which I touched on before. Yeah. And then I guess you could argue the Rolls Royce Cullinan, the Rolls Royce SUV. Have you seen one of those in Chicago yet? No. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. I'll, yeah. I'll keep an eye out, though. I've seen a few. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can't miss it because it's a gigantic car. <laughs> okay. Uh, but there's. You know, and, and then even so, Mercedes has their, you know, 4 by 4 squared um, giant SUVs. And basically, there's this really high-end SUV market. And it's not really, the U.S. is not its target market with these cars. Um, it's uh, overseas. It's, you know, the Saudis, really. Okay. Uh, in Dubai. Yeah. And, you know, the Middle East. Um, even in China. Okay. In these growth markets is where they're. Selling a lot of these real high-end SUVs, so is you know Ferrari might be a little bit too late to the game. But anyway, so the thing is, Ferrari is they're they're beginning to sort of saturate that market with um, these certain cars that are really just to make Ferrari money um, and are not necessarily the true Ferrari. Okay, and that's why we're basically seeing almost no earnings growth this year. And then it is supposed to increase a little bit next year, about 11% gain for next year, if that holds up. Yeah, they've just gone so far so fast. Um, they've just grown leaps and bounds over the course of the last three years, and it's just hard to keep that pace. 
Okay. You know, they've kind of they've kind of grown into the market, into that shape. And there was a race between a lot of those car companies. McLaren was in that race, too. Everyone was just trying to pump out as many cars as they can to meet this demand because there was this huge demand at that higher end of the market. Now it's kind of filled in. So now they have to be smarter. They have to be more nimble. And then they've added so much to their product lines that it's starting to get a little bit tougher. So you're going to see these bugs, these exotic car makers start to really duke it out at the high end as there's just you know less. They're just so oversupplied on the higher end of the market. Okay. What do you? Th- We're already seeing like the the mid-engine Ferraris. The the latest one, the the F the four eight eight, is starting to lose value at a much faster pace than its predecessor, the four fifty eight, did. Okay. To the point where they're almost going to start to be the same amount of money in the next maybe year or two, because now they have the, even the next generation that's coming out. So it's just like what happens to Corvette. They pump out as many Corvettes as they want. Every year, GM does it. And they stay on the lot, and you get these super big deals at the end of the year. And then a couple of years later, the used car prices keep fall so much just because they're so saturated. Yeah. So, But GM's able to do that because they can produce the Corvette so cheaply. So that when that starts to hit up at the high end of the market, margins are going to start contracting for these guys, and that's the headwinds that they're going to be facing. Okay. Now, we haven't touched on kind of the elephant in the room, but the electric car market, like Tesla. Yep. Um, I saw an ad today for Jaguar's new, I think, electric SUV, and that was yeah, the first. Safe. Yes. And so um, that made me realize, hey, there's a lot of competitors coming in here for Tesla now. What What do you think of the electric car market and Tesla, the stock in particular here? So you're going to have growing pains here, I think, initially from Tesla because of the, the perception that people have of Tesla. Okay. So the Tesla Model S, the their high-end, essentially, luxury electric car, right? Yeah. Um, that's not what Tesla wants to be. They, they made that car because they could. Okay. Now Porsche is going to have the Taycan, which is uh, basically a sports model a luxury sports sedan, um, which will directly compete with this Model S in some in some markets, um, but not in others. So what I mean by that is because it's a it's a sports sort of performance car coming from Porsche, it's not going to compete with the guys who want to have that luxury feel in an electric car. Okay, it's going to compete sort of with the hot shots. So um, you can almost think of it as like, you know, a Mercedes S65 AMG versus just a regular BMW 7 Series. So okay. there's going to be some competition, but not 100% direct competition like people think. Tesla really wants to make those Model 3s. That's where he wants to be. He wants to be sort of an everyday, every person electric car. Okay. That area of the market is not getting hit yet. Nor will it for a while, I don't think. Okay. These these companies are going to come in with these higher-end things first. So BMW did it with the i8. They tried to come after Tesla with the i3, which is that smaller electric car that they have. Okay. Um, but that's really where, where Tesla wants to be. I think you're going to see Tesla really show that it wasn't just a car play. Tesla was an infrastructure play. And their charging stations that are throughout the U.S. 
they have a big leg up on everyone else coming into the U.S. trying to set up their electric charging network. Okay. Uh, so, so I think that's where you're going to see some value in Tesla moving forward. So it, it's, it's going to take a while to develop, I think, the real bullish Tesla story. But when it does, um, and when people realize what he's been doing all along, I think it's going to be great for the stock. But in the meantime, he's definitely got some competition he's got to fight through. Okay. I'll keep an eye on Tesla then based on what you're, what you're talking about here. And I have one other final question. Will you be seeing Ford versus Ferrari, the new movie that's coming out this holiday season, I believe, or this fall? It Absolutely. Has, and I'll yeah. be there in my Rosso Corso with my Cavallino booing the Blue Oval. <laughs> it looks good, the movie. It is based oh, on yeah, a true story, be. right? Well, I think, the true story is going to be better than the movie. Okay, but it is like this really actually did happen, right? I'm pretty sure. It's, Absolutely. Yeah. So the Cliff Notes, you know, without the, the, the movie is going to be the movie, right? I don't know how the movie Right. Be. This is Matt Damon and Christian Bale, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they just had another trailer for it that looked great. Okay. Uh, essentially, <laughs> what's going on is, um, you know, Ferrari was going to sell the Ford. Uh something happened that upset Enzo, so he decided he's not going to sell. Essentially, I think what it was is Ford wanted full control of their racing program, okay. and Ferrari wanted nothing to do with that. Uh, and then he uh, Ferrari canceled the deal, and then Ford was like, well, we're going to beat you at Le Mans, and then Enzo said, okay, bring it on. <laughs> and eventually Ford did win at Le Mans. But what they're probably not going to point out in the movie is how many years it took Ford to finally beat them. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Um, but it does look good. So I'm excited to see it's gonna be a great movie. another kind of car movie. You don't see those every day. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a great movie. Okay. I used to be a big Ford fan until I evolved. Okay. <laughs> um. So, yeah, there's a lot going on in the car industry right now, and this was a good coverage of it, Dave. Thanks for joining us today because you are our resident expert here on all things cars, and we're going to keep an eye on it because I have a feeling in 2020 it's still going to be one of the more interesting, you know, both stock and kind of industry areas, um, especially depending on what goes on with the economy. You know, if we get a recession, if we don't get one, and what happens with the earnings with a lot of these companies going into 2020. So let me recap the tickers we talked about. So we did talk about General Motors, tickers GM. Ford is ticker F. Then Toyota is TM. Ferrari is race, R-A-C-E. And then Tesla is, of course, T-S-L-A. And uh, Dave, when we have you back on, you, you can give your review of Ford versus Ferrari. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Because I'll be seeing it too and we can discuss it. But um, for everybody else, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single episode and so that you're listening when uh, we talk about cars again. And you can subscribe on a whole bunch of platforms. We are on SoundCloud, of course, and now on Spotify. And you can get us on Apple Podcasts. But be sure to get us somewhere. And I'll see you again next week with some more stocks.
This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.